The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On March 16th, 1957, a supposed UFO lands outside of Alexandria, Virginia. Two police officers arrive on the scene and claim to witness three entities exit. Those entities claim to become in peace and would like to speak to the president. And believe it or not, they get to. What happens next is even more unbelievable. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Valiant Thor. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. So we had some storms roll through last night. Holy crap, did we? I uh, don't know how bad it got on your end, but man. Y'all had a little hook above where Yunzes live. Well, I was driving back um, from Ringgold, and we got on uh, Battlefield Parkway, and like... The leaves were swirling. Like I, that's not good. No. Well, here's what the leaves. You want the leaves going in one direction or the other. You don't want them going in a circle. Circle, circle. <laughs> no, you don't. Here's what's crazy. When right before it, it may have been as it's hitting y'all because it was coming from the northwest. So y'all would have got it before we did. But right before, I'd say 15, 20 minutes before the main squall line hits us, it decides to spawn these three um, severe thunderstorm cells right like a half a mile from my house. And those three little bitty red blips on the radar were 10 times worse than the squall line that hit 20 minutes later. Now, we got a lot of wind and rain, but my Lord, at the lightning and the thundering and the power flickering and limbs of flying everywhere. Yeah, it was rough. And then finally got home after some car trouble, and it was bad. It's bad. It was bad. So I think we had a five-star review somewhere between the last time we did an episode. And I think our... Not counting the interview with Miss Bucholtz on the Rebecca Gould update, we had a five star review. I don't Let me look it up. think we had any more of the great patrons. Maybe we did. Hold on. Yep. June first. Since becoming is uh, is from a Mary Eliza. She says one of the best in true crime. Since becoming a stay-at-home mom years ago, I have become quite the true crime junkie. It's to the point I won't go into my own basement if my husband isn't home. I love how fresh your content is, and it's almost always a story I have never heard. I don't miss an episode. Keep up the good work. That may be the best review. Well, it may be the latest one, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
couldn't. It's a damn good one. Don't get me wrong. We, there was one that was like, I love the coach, go balls and all that. Uh, that, was yeah, that was okay. That's up there, I guess. Oh, <laughs> we did have a comment on our great Patreon page about our Matt Stewart episode from Miss Christy Drake. She states that just listen, great job, guys. I hate to lean towards the spouse did it trope, but here I am. I think maybe she had knowledge something would be occurring that night. I can almost understand running past the daughter's room to get help in a panic state. However, as a mom, after I got help coming, there would be nothing in all caps that would keep me from getting to my child. I find it extremely troublesome. She didn't once mention the daughter was still in the house. It was like two hours. Yeah. Two hours before they, she allowed the cops to enter or or before the cops entered and she never said, Hey, my daughter's in there too. That's, that's wild. Mr. Drake goes yeah, on to state, if she had beforehand knowledge, she could have maybe given the child something so she'd sleep soundly. Didn't think of that. She wouldn't yeah, be worried about the child point. if she knew the pain, if she knew the plan and felt confident in her safety. That's a great point. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, give her some Benadryl or some bourbon. <laughs> or a mixture of both. <laughs> oh, I call that I call that Christmas. That's what, that's what I do on Christmas. She goes on and says, I would also be interested in learning what the wife's relationship status was after the murder. That is true, but you can't find anything about her. Perhaps the family doesn't want people bringing attention to the story because they know what happened and are protecting one of their own. Just my speculation could be way off base, but it does make you think. Yes, it does, because there are a lot of true crime episodes that we do where the family... Once the initial, I guess, publicity kind of wears off, and then that's what you... they kind of go dark. Well, that and that's what your family's kind of known for is an unsolved disappearance or an unsolved murder. I think there is a lot of jealousy there. Not intentional jealousy, but I think there is some there, so... It is cray in the Ray Ray. All right, so we're taking a hard left on this one, getting away from the murder, but we're keeping the mystery and the mayhem alive. We are going to discuss probably one of the more requested topics, One Valiant Thor. And what we know about Valiant Thor comes from two men. Actually, it comes from one man and a blip from another man. And those two men are Phil Snyder, the Dulce base alien attack where he was maimed and well, you, you ruin that spoiler coming up later <laughs> and Dr. Frank Stranges. Now, Dr. Stranges was also a reverend and a lot of shade has been thrown about the reverend's motives in discussing a supposed alien. The good reverend would write a book titled Stranger at the Pentagon. And in it, he states that, what we are about to discuss was told to him by a man named Harley Andrew Bird, nephew to the late Rear Admiral Richard R.F. Bird. Now, Harley worked for Project Blue Book in 1957, and it was in the middle of March of that year that he claims that he had a colleague receive a call from the Alexandria Police Department. The message stated that two officers had picked up an alien that landed 14 miles south of Pentagon Boulevard. 
The UFO was said to be 300 foot long and 20 plus feet tall. Once Harley and his colleague take custody of said alien, it was transported to the Pentagon to meet with the Secretary of Defense, Charles Wilson. Well, here's what I'm saying so far is you think that chief of police has got that kind of connection to just go right to the Defense Department, to the Pentagon? See, I thought about that, too, but I'm thinking this is right in the the heyday of Project Blue Book. There may have been like a special hotline for law enforcement to Project Blue Book, maybe? I mean, maybe that's a good point, but did they really like, I don't know, did a lot of people know about Project Blue Book? Probably not. All I'm saying is, though, I honestly believe this, I believe he existed. To I'm just going to say, it just seems kind of suspect that he just, well, we met him in the field, Virginia. Now there are. <laughs> he just said, "Come on, hey, take me to your leader." Straight to the Pentagon, like straight to him, like just I, took him there. I have seen some accounts that said there was a pissing contest with some local municipalities, and Alexandria decided that they would just usher him straight to the Pentagon. But either way, you're right. You're just gonna drive up to the Pentagon. But it was the fifties; things were a little different. That's true, and the, and the timeline's a little fuzzy. They don't, we don't really state how long they had him or what, you know, but it's just kind of like, it's, it's wishy-washy. It's like, oh, we took him to the Pentagon. Just like we do like, every other idiot that shows up in this like field. That, <laughs> yeah, this field in particular. <laughs> now, the alien was transported underground to meet with President Eisenhower and then Vice President Richard Nixon. The meeting lasted for nearly an hour, and after it concluded, the alien visitor was put on VIP status. Yeah, he like supposedly gave them a note that was from the Intergalactic Council or something like that, and it was written in a alien language, but Thor was able to allow it to be translated. Yes, yeah. It was tr- kind of fuzzy on how he did that, too. Now, they transport him back to the Pentagon where he spends the night in the Army reception office on the first floor near the concourse, and he tells everyone that his name is Valiant Thor. Well, I mean, let's 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 speak on the, the meeting with the president. Now, that is highly documented in our circles that some sort of meeting happened with Eisenhower and aliens, and there was a treaty made. Uh, the story of Valiant Thor doesn't say anything about a treaty, but everything else, if, it's, if they're not talking about Valiant Thor, they talk about a treaty. Correct. About how, like, they're trading. I've heard some people say it was FDR, but, like, they traded technology and secrets for... Cattle and humans. Cattle and humans, yeah, for experimentations. Correct. But that's not the story of Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor comes in peace. He's trying to save humanity. Now, Commander James was on duty at the security clearance and review for the branch officer of the Project Blue Book. He oversaw the meeting through official channels and reported the landing and meeting of the space emissary as he was labeled by the Department of Defense to a governing group of high military officials, including Secretary of Defense D.F. Forstall, 
and other scientific men, of which there were 12, a.k.a. the Majestic 12. Oh, shit. They, in turn, made recommendations to the president and cabinet members, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and all the other alphabets that were there. Now, according to Dr. Strange's, it was on March 16, 1957, that Val arrived at the Pentagon. Val stated that he had come to the Earth under the direction of the Central Control, who had chosen to make the contact as well as direct the project. When he arrived at the Pentagon, he was transferred to an underground train that carried him to the White House. Six officials, six armed guards, and three Secret Service men escorted him into the Oval Office. From From behind his desk, the president rose and shook Val's hand. After the handshake, the president stated, quote, Of course, you know, we have suspended all rules of protocol. I have a good feeling towards you. Please, sir, what is your name? He replies, Valiant. President Eisenhower says, And where do you come from? And Valiant states, I come from the planet your Bible calls the morning and the evening star. Eisenhower says, Venus. And Valiant says, Yes, sir. President Eisenhower says, can you prove this? Valiant says, what do you constitute as proof? And here's the thing. It's already, you know, this is from the religious man's book. You know, why wouldn't he just say Venus? It's much easier that way. Yes, and that is an underlying current in the shade thrown this way. Yeah, buddy. Now, Eisenhower states, I don't know what would be proof. To which Valiant Thor says, well, you can come with me to my ship. Eisenhower says, my friend, I cannot come and go as I please. There are others to be considered. There are committees to be consulted and security measures to be adhered to. Please spend some time with us here. Let's get better acquainted. Learn more about one another. And also, don't you find it odd that he automatically asked for the president? Like, Even if they were observing us, for a long time. Well, how would they know that was his title? There's a lot of unanswered questions in this. So, Oh, good Lord. I know. Of course there is. That's why we're doing it. Read the name of the fucking podcast. (laughs) I'm asking your fucking opinion, bro. I don't know why anybody would land and try to come to the United States president. Not that there's any other dignitary out there that has their shit together better. But was a good president, man. No, I agree he was. And the thing is, he had seen the horrors of World War II because he was the supreme commander of the Allied forces. So wait, there were horrors? Horrors. There was a, probably oh. a lot of them too. Horrors. Okay. <laughs> horrors. So I misheard. <laughs> now I'd watch that documentary. Even the if horrors. it was even if it was in black and white. The horrors of World War II. <laughs> Picture this, Sicily, 1943. There I was, selling bikinis. There I was. <laughs> you remember Tommy Boy when he's like, whores? That's when the whores come in. All the whores. He's like, one time during the war, I visited a prostitute, and she'll never let it go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. After assuring them that Earth had been under close scrutiny for hundreds of years before the 1945 atomic bomb blast, Val presented the president with a special letter from the Central Control. 
Central, there you go. Central Control is basically the Galactic UN or whatever it's called in Star Trek. Now, after the meeting with the president and vice president, Val was asked if he would follow the Secret Service back to the Pentagon. There he was presented with a beautifully furnished apartment, you know, because they just got some of those lying around the Pentagon. It is there that he would spend the next three years. Fortunately, he was perfect. Prepared, prepared for such a lengthy visit and kept in constant communication with the starship. Now, now supposedly he arrived in a, in a special suit. It was like one piece suit and kind of looked metallic in nature. Yes, it was he, called, he turned it over to the scientists. Don the miracle garment. Yeah. They couldn't figure out how he would get in and out of it. They tried to destroy it in many ways, like acid, shooting it, putting a laser on it, and nothing seemed to damage it at all. Couldn't even wrinkle it. Nope. <laughs> That's some good scotch guard. That is. <laughs> Several days later, it is stated that Val, along with three crew members from his ship, Don with two ends, Jill and Tanya, attended a meeting in the backyard of Mr. Howard Menger in Highbridge, New Jersey. The meeting consisted of individuals who were interested in UFOs. Val stated that most of their hypotheses were correct, and he was very displeased at how this group of UFO enthusiasts were treated in the press. Now, President Eisenhower read the letter from the High Council and stated that Val's offer to help the human race would upset the economy of the United States and could plunge the country into the abyss of chaos. Well, you know, all he did was offer, you know, in world hungry, the secrets to immortality, the way to end world hunger, how to get free, unlimited energy and a a way to uh, travel better than using the combustible engine. So you think you're talking you got the healthcare industry gone. You got the funeral industry gone. You've got oil. All that shit's gone. I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the, the Rockefellers would be upset. Powers, yeah, the powers that be ain't going to allow that. No. The president told Val that the people of this planet were not ready to cope with such conditions that would come into existence if Val's recommendations were put into action. The president yeah, asked... cope with not having to work anymore and being able to live forever and, you know, living in peace and harmony. Yeah, that would be terrible. It would be awful. God. The, the president asked Val if he would mind assisting several scientists who were working on medical projects directly associated with the space sciences. You know that somebody out there, if they, all that came to me, they'd be like, yeah, man, I guess we don't have war and all that shit no more, but you know what? They took my job. You're right. Now, <laughs> Val's allotted time to acquaint the leaders of the United States with his suggestions was limited to just three years. Val was said to have had an IQ of 1,200 and could speak 100 different languages. Now, just like Coach had stated, he had this miracle garment, which was his uniform. And... Shit, I'm jumping ahead of you, ain't I? That's okay. That's what happens when I do my research, man. I, I spoil shit. <laughs> now, they, after all of the things that Coach said they did to it, a report is issued back to President Eisenhower that stated the following. Physical appearance, soft silver and gold lustrous. Fabric. Unknown. Weight, six ounces total, including the boots. 
cut, close fitting like a tunic. No cuffs, pockets, buttons, zippers, clips, or hooks. Whatever an RXT2 test is, it came back indestructible. And again, they subjected it to a laser, not on a shark, but a laser, and it did not even scratch it. Now, in December of 1959, Dr. Stranges was giving a lecture at the National Evangelistic. Let's try that again. Yeah. Evangelistic Center. Three, two, one, go. National Evangelistic Center, pastored by the one Dr. John Mears in Washington, D.C. During his lectures, Dr. Stranges would speak on how God is not just known to the people of Earth, but also known to the vastness of the universe. Now, the good doctor had heard rumors of the Venusian messenger and his meeting with Eisenhower, and he would weave Val's story into his lectures where he would quote scripture that is suggested uh, or suggestive of UFOs and aliens. What is even more unbelievable is that during Val's meeting in New Jersey, several photographs were taken of him along with his crew discussing the UFO phenomenon with Howard Menger. Those same photographs would be given to Dr. Strange's by the photographer. And Dr. Stranges would hold these photographs of Val and his crew up during his lectures and explain that he was a messenger from the planet Venus who was attempting to help Earth find its way back to God. After giving his lecture, the good doctor was signing copies of his book titled Salsarama when a woman... <laughs> That's such a good name. It is. That's such a 1950s name. Salsarama. When a woman, and I don't think this is her real name because every time I see it, it's in quotation marks, but they, yeah, refer, they, to, they refer to her as Nancy Warren approaches the good doctor and asks if he would like to meet the man in the photographs he had just shown in his lecture. So to say that she had his attention is an understatement. Uh, so she presents Dr. Strange's her Pentagon ID and asks if there was somewhere they could speak more privately. So they make their way to the pastor's study, and she again asks if he would like to meet Valiant Thor. And the good doctor says, uh, yeah. Uh, does. <laughs> she then explained that if and only if the good doctor promised to follow her instructions to the letter, she would set up a meeting. Now, Nancy told him to meet her at the curb in front of his hotel sharply at 8 a.m. the next morning. And... Just like clockwork, she arrived precisely on time, and the two began a surreptitious route, which at times would seem unreal. But all later, I'm saying, all I'm saying is, if somebody with a Pentagon ID badge comes up to me and says, "You can do something as long as you follow my exact instructions and meet me on the curb," blah blah blah, and get into a strange car, I think I'm about to go be put in a hole somewhere. Oh, I'm I'm at least going. At least you can say he's gullible enough. If you've got a Pentagon ID and a good looking car, he's game. You can talk him into anything. <laughs> so Nancy gets Doctor Strange's to the Pentagon through security and tells him that the through a unassuming door in front of him was the man in the photograph. As he opened the door, a man about six feet tall, perhaps 185 pounds, with brown wavy hair and brown eyes, approaches him. <clears throat> 
His complexion appeared normal and slightly tan. As he approached him with a warm smile, he extended his hand for a handshake, and he said, quote, Hello, Frank. How are you? End quote. So Val tells Dr. Strange is that his purpose in coming to Earth was to help mankind return to the Lord. He said that man was further away from God than ever before, but there was still a good chance if man looks in the right place that he could return to the good graces of God. Val warned Dr. Strange that the road ahead would be difficult. There would be adversaries. There would be adversities. There would be organized attempts to both discourage and discredit him, but the rewards would outweigh those trials. Yeah. If I'm faking something, I'm definitely going to mention that people are not going to believe me. They're, they're going to they're try to sabotage me because they know, they know it's true, but they're going to try to discredit me. That's right. Like, yeah, oh no, it's covering your bases if you ask me. Now, Dr. Strange has asked Val about whether the people of Venus had a Bible. Val kind of scoffs at him and assured him that a personal unbroken fellowship with, quote, the author did not necessitate the printing of a book, end quote. And I find this little nugget right here to be so telling of some of our, since we are in the Bible Belt, our Bible Thumper friends, we all have them. So if, and I do believe there is life out there other than ours. Absolutely. And if God is all-knowing and he is known to the rest of the universe, they're not going to have the King James Bible in an no. underground liar. De- definitely not. So. They probably have, they're going to have Zorb's seventh edition because <laughs> they translated it too. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, we have the Zorg Bible. <laughs> Maybe similar to your new international version. Yeah. Now, Dr. Strange has asked Val if there were life on other planets besides Earth and Venus. Quote, there is life on many other planets of which people on Earth know nothing. There are more solar systems for which man has not even given God credit. There are many beings that have never transgressed the perfect law of God. Man does not possess the right to condemn the whole of God's creation because he himself has broken the perfect laws of God through disobedience, end quote. Now, Val goes on to explain to Dr. Strange that he had been given instructions to leave Washington, D.C. no later than March 16, 1960. He had tried in vain to speak to scientists, politicians, military men, and so on, and they would not listen. He had offered to end sickness and disease that plagued the planet. These men had met him with flat-out refusal and failed to listen to him. He was told over and over that his presence and his ideas were a threat to the political and economic structure. Certain religious leaders were also fearful of losing a grip on the people in the event that the presence was admitted on an official level. It was very disheartening that the administration failed to lay hold of such information that would change the course of human activities for the good because of economic reasons. But don't that make sense, though? We got people in this world worship that dollar so much that they'll be like, nah, man, we can't cure everybody. We can't get rid of the military industrial complex. Like that would be insanity. Yeah. Now Val had promised not to use force to bring about his change for earth. So the scientists, politicians, and military figures would just wait him out until he left forever, keeping his existence a secret. Val would explain that, 
This is why he had turned to, quote, godly men of strength and character, end quote, throughout earth to spread his message. Now, now, uh, Strangest has given himself a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> in his own writing. Now, President Eisenhower wanted to let the world know of Val's proposed plan, and every time Val would convince the president to allow him to speak before the U.N., the CIA, the military chiefs of staff, the secretary of defense would convince the president that it would cause a worldwide panic. Now, the morning of March 15, 1960, Val would meet with Nancy Warren, who was basically his earthly secretary. She would continue to communicate with others who would become part of Val's earthly contacts. And on March 16th, Val just dematerialized and departed from the Pentagon. He would rematerialize on the outskirts of Alexandria, Virginia, where his ship and his crew awaited, hidden by a wooded area. Upon returning to his home planet, he advised the Council of Central Control of the results of his Earth visit, including the failure of the President of the United States to, quote, take him up, end quote, on his offer, of advice and assistance to the human family. He was given the following instructions. One, to mingle with and become as earth people. Two, to work and labor in earth enterprises. Three, to help those who encounter possible threat or danger while striving for world peace. Four, to give them advice and guidance. Five, to entrust with superior knowledge those who have proven themselves. And six, divulge the essence of their mission to the collective national leaders of Earth only when the time is right. Now, Dr. Strange's book takes... I don't... See, there's some gray area about when he starts to write it, when it's published, yada, 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 yada. But in his book, he explains that roughly after... A year after Val left the Pentagon, he met with him again, this time... As he's just driving down the California highway, Val appears suddenly in his back seat, to which he freaks out, pulls over, and as the car comes to a stop, Val says, quote, hello, Frank, how are you? And then gets out and gets in the passenger seat. Well, I was doing pretty good till you made me poop my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Dr. Stranges explains that the meetings like this continued for several years, And it was during these meetings that Val informed him that they, the council, were in the process of establishing what he called, quote, communication bases in private residences. From city to city in major areas around the globe, individuals of high character and commitment had been contacted and their assistance had been enlisted to accomplish this goal. Some of these areas include Reno, Nevada, San Diego, California, Geneva, Switzerland, Lorland, and Los Angeles, California. In these homes, Val explains that one would find communication equipment unlike any you can imagine. There is a holographic communicator which operates in the middle of a room. All you have to do is sit in a chair located along the perimeter and suddenly you are seeing the physical image of the one to whom you are speaking. Dr. Stranges explains, quote, the first time I saw this device in use at a home in the Los Angeles area, I could hardly be- believe my eyes. Actually, I went up to the image and ran my hand through it. It looked so true to life, as if the person were actually standing right in front of me. The person got quite a laugh out of my bold, unusual actions. End quote. 
So you may be thinking, well, this is a fanciful tale, but is there any darkness that ensues? And yes, there are three attempts on the good doctor's life that he documents in his book. The first one occurred while he was in Mainz, Germany, on November the 5th, 1967. He was set to give a lecture on his UFO experience and his encounter with Val as part of a UFO convention. He would also be on a group panel after the UFO documentary Phenomena 7.7 was shown. Now, Phenomena 7.7 is about the famous Lonnie Zamora UFO case in Socorro, New Mexico in 1964. If you don't know what that one is, you might want to look it up. It's a good one. Now, just before his lecture, two men from a large Italian newspaper called and asked for an interview. One man stated he was the reporter while his colleague was his photographer. So the three men decided to conduct the interview in the dining area of the hotel in which Dr. Strange's was staying. And Dr. Strange's decides that he will have some lunch while being interviewed. And it is during this interview that he receives a message from the front desk that he has a phone call. Now, the phone call was legit because it was from a colleague of his in Helsinki asking about the good doctor's itinerary. Upon arriving back at his table, he finds the two gentlemen gone and the table cleaned except for his lunch, which was just a bowl of tomato soup. Dr. Stranges states, quote, Perplexed, I sat down and swallowed a tablespoon full of the soup, and then I knew something was wrong, very wrong. I tasted a gritty substance that burned like fire all the way down into my stomach. I made a quick grab for a glass of water on a nearby counter. I immediately located my interpreter, Mr. Anthony Lowe, and together we rushed back to the hotel room. By this time, blood was trickling out of my mouth and down the front of my shirt. He knew I was growing sicker and weaker with each passing moment. Upon reaching my room, he quickly administered a dose of powder which he stirred into a glass of water and which he had mixed before leaving the university where he was studying. As a medical student, he had access to medical supplies. He did not tell me the contents of the vial because he did not know. He claimed that he was, quote, instructed to mix this substance and bring it with him to Maine's, end quote. After swallowing the contents of the vial, Dr. Stranges slips into what he calls a deep sleep. After a little more than an hour, he is awakened by the phone ringing. It was Valiant Thor. He explains that he is the one that instructed the interpreter to bring the vial and that Dr. Stranges needed to be extremely careful moving forward. And, just in the nick of time, the good doctor makes his scheduled lecture time, and none of the participants are wiser that an attempt has been made on his life. Hmm. The second attempt would come in January of 1974, sometime in the afternoon. Dr. Stranges was asked to meet with Val and some of his people just outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. That evening, as Dr. Strange is making his way through the Las Vegas airport, he notices two young men, quote, attired in tight-fitting black suits, end quote, waving to him. As he approaches, they greet him with, quote, how are you doing, Frank, end quote. Believing that they are friends of Val, he chit-chats with them. One of them takes his briefcase, and the other instructs him towards a black Cadillac parked at the curb. Another man, also dressed in black, was sitting behind the wheel. Dr. Strange is asked to sit in the back seat, 
And as he enters the car, the man that had his briefcase was already seated to his left. And as he sat down, the other man sits to his right in the back seat. So you got a Dr. Strange MIB sandwich. Just a couple of miles from the airport, in the middle of the Nevada desert, the Cadillac pulls over on the side of the road, and one of the men opens the door and instructs the good doctor to get out. As he is stooped over, attempting to exit the car, the other man kicks Dr. Strange's in the back with both feet square in the kidneys. So he drop kicks him? Well, the way it was described was he braced himself against the door and donkey kicked him. I'm just thinking, I'm like old school rock and roll express, <laughs> double drop kick. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I will say I read the good doctor's book. It's only 126 pages. And in it, he does. Line stack of shit. I swear I did. The good doctor. <laughs> you didn't read that. Yeah, I did. You lied. I, I swear to I'll send you the link. You can read it tonight. It is a very easy read. There's not 126 pages of words. I can guarantee you that. Okay. All right. You can send me the link, but I'm not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but if it makes you feel better, you send that some bitch. Now, in this sordid tale, the good doctor explains that he was, you know, swift on his feet and he held his own against three attackers. But he just could not hold his own much longer and they began to beat him senseless. And then all of a sudden, he remembers a white Cadillac arriving and the beating stopped because one of the men in the white Cadillac was Don, you know, Don with two ends, Val's crew Man, member I, from the Pentagon. I, I stated earlier, and I did before we started this, believe that Valiant Thor existed, but this some bitch is writing himself into a damn John Wick movie. Like, yes, he is. Like, I guess I should have read the book because I would have been like, oh, this guy's full of shit. I don't know if I believe anymore. <laughs> I'm being I'm being dead serious. I think this has changed my mind. Oh, it's gonna get better. Don okay. disables the black Cadillac along with his colleague, and they get Doctor Strange's into their white caddy, and they leave the scene. And just a short distance away, Doctor Strange states that quote Don stopped our car, got out, and slowly walked to the rear. He gestured with both hands towards the black car. And within a matter of seconds, the car and the three men who were prostrate on the desert floor utterly vanished. There was no trace of the occurrence except for the disturbed sand and the rubber that had melted and, quote, run like water. Upon returning to the car, Don anticipated his question of their new whereabouts. He replied, quote, Frank, let's just say that they are now displaced. The white caddy starts again, and they proceed towards Henderson, Nevada. The other person with Don, Dr. Strange's later learns, was Thon, T-H-O-N-N. And Don, Thon, and Val are all brothers. Okay. Okay. I can, I can buy that. Don and Thon. If you can buy all this, I can buy that. Don and Thon take Dr. Strange, Strange's to their ship where Val and his crew heal the good doctor. Now, in his book, he states that the ships all have medical areas, but they're not for their occupants. There are 
Those medical areas are for Earth people because the crew never gets sick, remember? Val's cured sickness on Venus. Or actually, he's not cured sickness. He knows the secret to curing it. Anyway, Val appears by Dr. Strange's side and tells him that, quote, men in black are no laughing matter and that it would behoove every honest UFO researcher investigator to be warned that the MIBs were in the business of destroying and discrediting good on the face of this planet, which we all knew they were mischievous little devils anyway. Yeah. So the third attempt that he describes was in April of 1985, more precisely April the 11th. Dr. Strange's and his wife, Julie are driving down Boulder highway after visiting the Hoover dam. All of a sudden, Julie yells, watch out as a car seemed to appear out of nowhere. Dr. Strange slams on the brakes, swerves to avoid hitting a blue car, and is immediately rammed by another car from behind. This sent the strangest car into the median where it flips and spins before coming to a halt right side up. Dr. Strange, I'm sorry, I keep wanting to call him Dr. Strange, and it's not Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange's realizes that he, he cannot move. This ain't the Marvel Universe. I know. Julie, on the other hand, is okay and quickly unhooks her seatbelt, gets out of the car, and runs to the good doctor's side of the car. She unhooks his seatbelt, but all he can do is just lay there with his head against the headrest and his hands on the steering wheel. An ambulance soon arrives, and the good doctor is strapped to a backboard, and his head is taped down. The entire ride to the hospital, the ambulance staff poke and prod Dr. Strange's asking if he can feel anything. He states that he cannot feel anything past his chin. Now, upon arriving at the hospital and waiting for more than five hours, hey, I know what you're going through, Doc. Dr. Strange's was taken for x-rays. I bet his didn't come back normal. As he is being wheeled into the x-ray room, Val appears and asks everyone to leave the room so that he could speak with Dr. Strange's. Now, according to the good doctor, Val placed his hands on either side of the good doctor's head and told him not to worry, that everything would be okay. Dr. Strange's states that he felt a warm, tingling sensation throughout his whole body, and when he opened his eyes, Val was gone. After a few hours, Dr. Strange's was allowed to dress and walked out of the hospital to the amazement of the staff. Now we get to... Val's spacecraft, because the good doctor was allowed to see the interior. In June of 1968, precisely June the 5th, the good doctor receives a phone call from Val asking him to fly to San Diego. Once there, he is met by Val, and Val escorts him to a car, and the pair drive to San Felipe, Mexico. Upon arriving in the town of San Felipe, Val pulls into the parking lot of a seafood restaurant and then parks in the rear. He then asks Dr. Strangest to follow him. The pair head towards the ocean and climb over some rocks and begin to walk along the beach. Soon they are out of the sight of the town and anyone's prying eyes. And there a small boat is waiting for them. And after a short trip, Dr. Strange's sees Val's UFO sitting on the water. Now, Dr. Strange's is shown a room aboard the uh, the UFO. 
and asked to enter what he describes is or as a shower, but there was no water. He said he could feel a warm tingling sensation, and yes, he was not clothed. After walking through the shower, he is given a white uniform described as overalls by the good doctor, and Val and Dr. Strange have dinner, and then Val gives Dr. Strange a tour of the ship. Now, he describes the interior of the ship as having no square corners, and he states that the floor felt like he was walking on the softest, spongiest clouds. After the tour, Dr. Stranges is shown his guest room, and after sleeping and meeting with Val throughout the day, he and Val head back to the shore and back to the car, and Val takes him back to the airport where he returns home. Hmm. Now, in his book, he has several photos of UFOs throughout the world and describes the propulsion systems of different spacecraft used by Val. And he goes into layman terms for electromagnetic engines, force fields, gravity generators, all of the stuff that you have read about as propulsion systems. He also discusses how Val and the others communicate, which he says can either be through the holographic box that he was shown, direct communication, or telepathy. Now, there are some fanciful tales in the meeting with Val on his UFO off the coast of San Felipe that I left out, but you are more than welcome to read those. They include Bobby Kennedy's assassination. Now, the other person that is credited with claiming to have seen Val is one Mr. Phil Schneider and his father, Oscar. And Coach, you said that you had found more than I did about young Oscar. Well, I didn't find anything about Oscar other than that photo, that there's a supposed photo of Valiant Thor getting debriefed about something or in a meeting at the Pentagon, and Oscar Schneider is there. Now, I will say, when before I researched this, that photograph is the one that I think of anytime anyone mentions this topic. The other photographs that we will put on our socials, I don't remember ever seeing so but supposedly the photographs that were that are of him and his crew no one in those photographs have ever been identified nobody's ever tried to come out and say oh that was my aunt Susie right there she would know nothing that is a good point now according to Phil Snyder the photo that coach mentioned is from 1943 now a lot of people would discredit Phil's account because The man in the photograph does not resemble any of the photographs or Dr. Strange's description in the photographs. Yeah, Phil's also going to state that Valiant Thor had six fingers. So, And he had blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. Well, you can change that. I'm going to kill this fucking cat. (laughs) Come on, dude. I'm trying to do a podcast, bro. Oh, come on. Go get you some food. Tina, eat your food. Eat your kiss deal. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to the debunkers, and there are a lot. 
And a lot of people point out the fact that Dr. Strange's entire tale follows right along step by step with the 1951 movie from a Julian Blaustein and Robert Wise titled The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, that is true. It's a good point. Except Dr. Strange's inserts the word of God and Jesus instead of the main plot of the movie being that the aliens have arrived to stop the nuclear holocaust. Now, Dr. Strange's himself has been labeled a charlatan. According to Dr. Strange's, he was the assistant deputy director of the California State Marshal Association, which does not exist. California has no state marshals. The good doctor also stated that he was a chaplain who held top secret clearance at the Pentagon. People have dug into his past and can find no record of him ever being a marshal of any type in any government role. And, of course, there is no record of him ever being employed by the Pentagon. But, remember, Bob Lazar was not found to be employed by Area 51, so I'm just saying. Other red flags are that Dr. Strange states that he received a bachelor's degree in theology plus PhDs in both psychology and philosophy from Faith Theological Seminary in Florida. While Faith Theological Seminary is a real accredited religious college, it does not offer PhDs in either of those two areas. In his later years, he would also claim a Ph.D. in criminology from the National Institute of Criminology in Washington, D.C., but there is no such institution. There are several unaccredited universities with similar names overseas, but again, none of them offer Ph.D.s. Another hole in Dr. Strange's account is that of Harley Andrew Bird. If you do a little research, you quickly realize that Harley's claim of a senior level blue book officer with a top secret clearance would have had to occur by the time he turned 18. Now, Admiral Bird did have four nephews, but none of them nephews were named Harley or Andrew or any combination. Hmm. Now, the man claiming to be Harley Andrew Bird did make an appearance on Art Bell's Coast to Coast show in 1995. That interview was quite the tale, and in it, Mr. Harley Bird claims that his uncle, Admiral Bird, so entrusted him as a young boy that he gave him the secret diaries where the good admiral told of his contacts with aliens and Nazis at the pole. Now, other researchers have pointed out that in the decade between the time Dr. Strange says he met Val and the time he published Stranger at the Pentagon, the good doctor published at least two other books about UFOs, Flying Saucerama in 1959 and New Flying Saucerama in 1966. Plus, he produced at least two documentary films about UFOs. The one we previously discussed, Phenomena 7.7, and another one titled Strange Sightings in 1964. If he truly had spent months discussing the cosmos, cosmos, cosmos with a real alien emissary, the most important event in the history of humankind and this man's life, why would he never have mentioned that fact once in any of his other works? Also, during those years, he set aside his alleged work at the Pentagon 
with this astonishing interplanetary contact and founded the International Evangelism Crusades with his father. Now, not to just piss on the parade, I will close with a couple of things that may lead credence to this tale. And one, one is that exactly a year after Val is said to have left the Pentagon to return to Venus, President Eisenhower gives his farewell address to the nation that is televised. And in it, he warns of the military-industrial complex. It sure does. It's one of the best uh, speeches I've, I've heard. Yes. Now, another point is that Dr. Strange's has never wavered from his claims. So it makes you wonder if maybe, just maybe, there is some validity to this sordid tale. Or he knows if he goes, he retracts his statement, he ain't going to sell no more books. Well, he died in 2008, so that journey's over. Oh, well, I'm just saying before then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, way to just piss on the poor guy. He's been dead 15 years. Oh. I'm just saying. (laughs) There's got to be a counter argument, right? (laughs) Correct. I do agree. I I want to believe this. And if it is, if what Dr. Strange explains is real, it is a story that we all could cling to because... I think deep down, everyone besides money grubbing generals in the military industrial complex do want to end certain plagues and things in our society. But, like you said, after you dig a little deeper into this subject matter, it makes you wonder. But it also makes you wonder that whether Dr. Strange's had this tale told to him that maybe there was a valiant Thor, but he didn't have a personal relationship with him and he embellished it and used it to spread the word of God. Maybe. I'm just saying there's a little, his story's a little suspect. You might be right. Maybe he just embellished everything and there actually was a valiant Thor, but I don't know about his book. Now, supposedly, there was a video of Phil Schneider talking about Valiant Thor, his father, and then him meeting other aliens from Venus before he's attacked in the underground base. But just like all the good stuff, they took that one off of UFO, uh, off of UFO, off of YouTube. Yeah. So if you can find it, I don't know where you would find it, but if you can find it, supposedly that is out there in the annals of the internet. Now, there is one on YouTube called Valiant Thor, The Stranger at the Pentagon, and it's a younger Dr. Strange is speaking. I think it's it's either 20 minutes or 40 minutes. And then later in life, he gives another speech that's also on YouTube called Interview with an Alien at the Pentagon, Val Valiant Thor. And it's 35 minutes long. 
Uh, both of those are linked on the alienufoblog.com. And once you get on there, just search Valiant Thor and it'll come up. Okay. So that's my recommendation is to give yourself a a little, whether you believe it or not, it is, it is a, a, a nice tale. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, you know, supposedly, well, not supposedly, but in his book, he says that there are Venusian, I almost said Venetian, Venusian. No, the Venetian's a casino in Vegas, bro. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you it's helping nice, me. It's a nice one. Thanks. Thank you for helping me. You're uh, welcome. During, it's based on Venice, which is where the real Venetians live. During that. Gondolas and shit. Like you can get in a gondola and fucking ride around. Sweet. In the casino. It's like 90 bucks, I think. No, not that sweet. <laughs> now, in his book, he states that there are multiple ships cloaked around the world. The U.S. had something like 21. It was like 18 in Brazil. China had like 30-something. You know, it just on and on and on. But again... There, if you type in the book's title, Stranger at the Pentagon and Free Library into the Google machine, it comes up with a list of places that you can read it. I will say that whoever the woman is in one of the pictures, supposedly of Valiant Thor and his crew, she is dressed to the nines. But who are we to say what is and what is not true? I don't know. I don't want to say. I tr- I did believe until you ruined it. I ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> However, I do now believe, truly believe that you read that book. <laughs> oh, finally, finally. How would you know all that bullshit? You're right. It is a lot, a lot. So Mm -hmm. if you are interested, do not type in Thor with two R's because Valiant Thor with two R's is a heavy metal band. That is no no longer around. You can find them on YouTube. There's a lot of them. Yeah, they're not bad. Well, Coach, what would be your recommendation? I'm going to recommend a documentary series on Vice called Dark Side of the Ring. If you're a fan of pro wrestling and also a fan of tragedies, <laughs> look it up because they cover all the bad shit that's gone down in pro wrestling. There's some crazy tales out there. Like I don't like current stuff. I don't. I haven't watched wrestling since I moved to college in 2000. But if it's wrestling before 2000, huge fan, huge fan. So I like it. It talks. I mean, the last one was on. Uh, Chris Candido and Tammy Lynn Cinch. You want to talk about a bad story there, brother? Sonny? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Like Chris Candido had, he broke his ankle and then against advice, got on a plane, developed a blood clot, went to his lung, killed him at 33. Tammy Lynn Cinch, Sonny went on to do porn. And then after, 
seven DUIs. Seven. Seven. She wrecked. She was drunk without a license and rear-ended a 75-year-old man, killed him. She going to prison for like 21 years. Dang. So if you like stories like that, it's a good series. I've already kind of made my recommendation, but during my short, short time being on summer vacation, I have set us up a Shopify account where our fans can buy merch. Uh, We are not getting rich off of this by any means. However, it is a way for our fans to get T-shirts and sweatshirts, and hopefully they will offer more stuff that we can put on our store. But it's mbrews.shopify.com. And if you are... That hoodie's badass. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to get one when it comes later on. And they're about... I mean, they're what you're going to pay in a store, but you'll be repping us. We do make a little bit of money off of it, but again, we're not going to get rich unless I order a screen printing machine. But this keeps us from having boxes of t-shirts that we can't sell or boxes of sweatshirts that we can't sell. We tried to do the pre-order thing last year and that kind of fell apart. So this was the quickest and easiest way for us to get our lovely fans some merch out there. Now, if you still want decals or the key change that I posted, just send us an email to mysteriousbrews at gmail.com and I will reply back with the cost and what it will take to get it shipped to you. We have a new batch. That was on, that was close. We have a new batch of decals and they have this pretty little glitter board around them <laughs> because they were on sale. <laughs> if you need anything like that, please check it out. Uh, we had some people go back and talk about and re-listen to the Rebecca Gould case, episode 46. Way back then, when we were just young lads, we had talked about doing a Discord channel where you could chat it up. No, we did not ever go through with that. Just Dude, like, if you listen to all the things we had planned on our damn episode, you'd think we'd have a fucking media empire by now. You're right. <laughs> but we got two full-time jobs, and we're lazy as shit. Well, the other thing is I would love to do half the stuff. Like, I'm in – right now, I'm fighting with Facebook over trying to get our Shopify account linked to our Facebook shop so that when you can, you can click on our title in Facebook and Instagram and it will come up with the option to shop directly from the app. They can't seem to get their shit together and they can't seem to get the link tied together. So I've been fighting with them for three days. So yeah, if you go back and you binge any of our old episodes or if we have some new fans out there that have started listening to us in our old episodes, and we say some shit that you think, hey, that would still be a good idea. Email us because we don't remember it. But anyway, Coach, do you have anything else to give to our lovely listeners out there in podcast land? You know I don't. Uh, deuces.